Welcome back to PCO's Executive Speaker Series, a series where we provide our clients unfettered access to candid conversations with industry-leading CEOs, executives, and entrepreneurs on the most interesting and relevant topics of today. This week, I sat down with Archie Gibbs, the president and partner of Unrealistic Ideas, a full-service production company that he created alongside Mark Wahlberg and Stephen Levinson, focused on premium, non-scripted television, documentary film, and podcasting. The company has produced five-time Emmy-nominated docuseries McMillions, among many other shows and movies including Wall Street, Run This City, and Wahlburgers. Archie is a two-time nominated producer and an award-winning director and writer. Thank you so much for joining us today, Archie. Great to be here, Allie. I think um, maybe just to kick it off, um, I would love to hear kind of how you got into the production business, and then maybe if you could just tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. Uh, I'll try to make it brief. It's long, but uh, <laughs> I uh, I went to undergraduate at Syracuse University, um, where I was a broadcast journalism major. So I want to be a sports broadcaster, moved out to California. I worked at a radio station in San Diego uh, called the Mighty 690. Um, and I worked there basically for very little money, but learned a lot. But it, most of all, I learned that my interest in love was more in TV, scripted TV and film. So I ended up applying to uh, New York University, NYU, and I went there for grad school as a screenwriter. And through that, uh, at NYU, I came back out to Los Angeles. And one of my first jobs was writing on a, uh, for a sitcom but that job didn't last long, and I fell into reality television, which was my first foray into non-scripted. That was for a show called Blind Date, where uh, two people would go on a date, and a thought bubble would pop up, and that was me writing the thought bubbles. So from there, I just got more and more into the non-scripted side, ended up becoming a producer on a lot of well-known shows like uh, Last Comic Standing, um, one of the shows I'm very well known for is a show called Duck Dynasty. And through that, I ended up on the show Wahlburgers, where I met Mark Wahlberg and his uh, manager, Stephen Levinson. And the three of us decided to form, after, after working with Mark for many years, we decided to form Unrealistic Ideas, which is the three of us. And we do non-scripted, as you said, non-scripted content. But in success, some of the stuff that we do that are real stories or about real people, Mark will potentially do as a scripted film or TV series as well. So we dabble a little bit not in scripted, and that's where my background is formally. But for the past several years, I've been concentrated primarily on documentary series, formats, uh, shiny floor shows, and everything in the non-scripted world. Got it. That was, I think, a pretty pretty succinct background for everything that you've worked on. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about how unrealistic ideas actually came to life and how you really jumped into starting that? Yeah, it's a crazy story. So I, I worked with Mark on, and this is like, a lot of people don't know this story. So, um, but I, I was working with this Mark. This is off the record. So <laughs> yeah, this is off the record just for everyone listening here, but I um, was working on, I was, okay. So I was working on Duck Dynasty for uh, a company called 44 Blue. And they um, hired me to essentially, with along with A&E, to become a consultant for Wahlburgers. And on the show, 
Um, I basically would come up with a lot of the creative. I met the family and the showrunner for that. And the showrunner is the executive producer that basically oversees everything. That person ended up getting fired uh, out, you know, outside of anything I did. And they asked me to basically run the show. So running the show, I got to know Mark and his family very well. And while getting to know Mark, um, I would spend time with him and his friends. You know, Mark, as you know, he's like a very social guy. He's got his little entourage of people that are around him. And so I slowly became sort of inside that inner circle. And so I met um, a, a gentleman who was a friend of Mar Mark's, who was a very high wealth individual. And his son was an editor. And this guy basically did, um, he worked in insurance and fire restoration. He was a very wealthy individual, but knew nothing about the entertainment world. So he asked me, he said, hey, my son's an editor. I don't know what editors do. Can you talk to him and see if he's any good? And if he's good, I'd love for you to hire him because if he's not good, I don't want him to do that anymore. And I want <laughs> him to become a work for me and make real money. So I met with his son and he was a very talented kid. And I said, yeah, your son's really talented and he you know, has a bright future. I said, I can't really hire him right now because the show is on hiatus. But when we come back, I, I would certainly entertain hiring him. So he said, okay. He calls me back a few days later and he says, hey, how about we start a production company? I will bankroll you, the entire company. How much is that? And so I, I quickly put together a sales, a, a, a business plan and gave it to him. He's like, this sounds good. It was a three-year runway uh, to kind of get the, the company off the ground. And so before I signed anything, I went to Mark and I said, hey, Mark, this high wealth individual that you introduced me to, um, he offered to start a production company. And he was like, that's awesome, dude. You totally deserve it. I'm proud of you. Um, totally have my blessing. But is this something that you think that I should be a part of, too? And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is totally uh, changing sort of what I had planned in the business plan, because. Mine was going to be very lean and mean, but with having a massive celebrity like Mark Wahlberg on, on board, it changed you know things dramatically. But I said, absolutely. So that's really how it kicked off. Like uh, Mark and, and Lev came on board and we started Unrealistic Ideas basically in 2018. It's rough about five years ago, five and a half years ago. And we've been producing ever since. Wow. So it sounds like it kind of was an opportunity out of left field, but that's awesome. And kind yeah. of how big is unrealistic ideas now and how do you compete i from what i can tell i know you mentioned being lean and mean it sounds like you still right. are a little bit le little bit lean how do you compete with some of those larger production companies yeah no it's a great question uh we have about 20 people on staff and it definitely accordions based on how many projects we have so if we get a project greenlit We'll maybe bring on between 20 and 50 people on that project. So they don't work for Unrealist Ideas, um, the corporation, but they work for our show. So if you if you kind of expand out all the projects we have, I'm probably overseeing around 300 to 500 people at any time. But only the people that work at Unrealist Ideas are about, you know, it, it fluctuates between 15 and 20 of us. I would, I would say uh, that's pretty yeah. lean for everything that you guys work on. <laughs> yeah, it is. And again, just so you have context, another production company, you know, that we are very much in competition with, they have about 120 people on staff, anywhere between 75 and 125 people on staff. So we're like really small compared to a lot of our competition. Yeah. 
how how do you think that you compete with them? Well, you have Mark Wahlberg as your partner. Uh, it goes a long way. Yeah. Um, because a lot of people come to us with ideas and they want to partner with us where um, a lot of those other production companies, they have to do a lot of internal development and things on their own where we, we could have fully baked ideas and they're like, hey, we want to do this with you because we want Mark's name across it. And so we're able to partner up with a lot of uh, independent producers that gives us more volume that way. We still are developing a ton of shows internally, but not. it's probably about a 40% internal development, 60% projects that are pitched to us. Got it. Yeah, I'm sure you get a ton of inbounds and interesting ideas. Um, can you walk us through kind of a project like Wall Street? How does that go from just an idea to selling that, pitching it, finding a buyer, filming right. production, and actually launching on a streaming platform? And how does that all work? Well, Wall Street was, I'll give you another example, because Wall Street is like, Mark Wahlberg wants to do a show. Okay, we're buying it. <laughs> so I that's mean, that was unique. Uh, basically, we Mark, we just had like HBO Max is where that was that ended up, and we just had people from HBO Max come over to drinks to Mark's house, and we kind of <laughs> gave them. We came up with like like you know basically a two page document for them, and they're like, yeah, we're in. So, <laughs> but for the most part, I'll, I'll give you another one that we recently um, did for HBO, which is uh, called The Golden Boy, and it was about the boxer Oscar De La Hoya. We do a lot of. Uh, documentaries about athletes and, and and celebrities and musicians and so forth. So um, basically, again, in this case, Mark was friends with Mario Lopez and Mario Lopez is very close friends with Oscar De La Hoya. So Oscar, uh, we met with Oscar and we said, you know, we'd love to tell your story about your documentary in a documentary form. And he he agreed to it. And so at that point, what we do is we have to put together sales material. And so we put together anywhere between a five to 25 page creative deck, which is, it could be either hard copy or a digital deck that outlines the story we're trying to tell. It says who we're going to have in it, obviously not just Oscar, but who else is related to him, his family members, his critics, you know, his friends, everything is put into this deck as well as the storyline of what it's going to be, how many episodes it's going to be, what it's going to look like creatively, who's going to direct it. Um, and very important, the, the archival materials that we have, not only just like Oscar's boxing match, matches, but like the home videos he has growing up and all these things are all components in how something's going to get sold. Then we also put together what's known as a sizzle, which is anywhere between one minute to five minutes. That's a, a piece of tape. It's a video that's like a trailer to a movie that's going to help you understand the style and tone of what we're trying to do. So we went to Oscar and we shot with him for a day, shot an interview with him. And for those materials, we went out now to our buyers. Our company actually has a first look deal with HBO. A first look deal means that they have the first opportunity to buy a project. They have two weeks to say that they want to buy something. If they don't buy it in that two week window, we're free to give it to the rest of the industry. Got in it. that particular case, they bought they bought uh, this series. If they did not and they passed on it, like another project we did, which is called Gold Lies and Videotape, then we went out to the general market and we started pitching it to other networks, Discovery, Netflix, Hulu, you name it. We basically, our company primarily deals with the streamers um, or the major networks. We don't do cable uh, channels as much. Um, 
And so that's that's basically it. It's it's your it's your sizzle and your deck. Those are the sales materials that you go out with, uh, and hopefully you get interest from more than one buyer. Because if you get more yeah. more than one buyer, then it becomes a competitive situation where they're basically bidding on your project, and that's the best situation you could you know be in. Sure. And um, kind of how did that? I guess you must have a great relationship with HBO if you guys have that deal with them. Is that just they are so confident that they've bought enough of your stuff or they love your like, how did that relationship come to form? Again, it goes back to Mark Wahlberg. Uh, Mark yeah. has an incredible track record with HBO. He created the show Ballers. Actually, Levinson created it. My other partner, Lev, created Ballers. But it goes all the way back to Entourage, which was Mark's show. It was a hit show no, for okay. that was a hit show for HBO. They did How to Make It in America. They did a Boardwalk Empire. These were all hit shows uh, for HBO. And I'm actually leaving some out. But They've done a ton all the way through Ballers. And so with that great relationship Mark and Lev had with HBO, once Unrealistic Ideas were formed, they were like, well, let's do the non-scripted stuff with you too. And so that's why yeah. the majority of the shows, that uh, projects that we've done are on HBO. The biggest one being McMillions, which um, you know was nominated for five Emmys and was got a lot of traction and was really uh, well-received by critics. Yeah, wow. And so kind of going back to one of those kind of, pitches or kind of the sales materials what else goes into that do you need to have select actors who are already on board or kind of what's the process it's like do you have to have actors on board do you have to kind of right. know that you've access to all of these kind of materials from their childhood home videos all that and that has to be in those sales materials or can that come yeah. out uh it's a great question it could be either or for example, we went out with a project with uh, Dame Lillard, who was attached to host it. Mm -hmm. um, we only wanted to go out with the project um, if Dame it was about, you know, shooting three pointers. It was a it was a fun show. Unfortunately, it didn't get picked up. Dame's a great personality. And so we wanted to make sure that the network knew that he was going to host it. Sometimes they will go out with materials where it's like here who we suggest to potentially be the host, but it's not nothing is sort of, you know, um, set. Yes. Yeah. We give them the opportunity, the network, like, oh, we love this idea. Maybe we'll put this person or this person uh, as the host. But in regards to those projects, they're going to want to know who is going to be involved in it. Uh, the, for documentaries, it's less about actors. With formats, you want to have personalities and actors that are attached. But with documentaries, they really want to know about the access. What access do you have to these people? So anyone could go and say, I want to do a documentary about George Clooney. Well, if you don't have George Clooney attached and access to him, no one's going to buy that documentary. Sure. So essentially, these are these 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 sizzles are in a way are showing the networks that a and yes, indeed, you have George Clooney involved because he's being interviewed and you could tell he's talking about his story. So I'm just using George as an example. He obviously has his own production company. So, but um, so you need to have you need to be able to prove you have the the access to these people as well as archival materials, which are video pictures and things like that, where you're able to tell the story. Because if you can't tell the story through video or pictures, then the next step is to potentially turn it into a podcast. Because oh, in that scenario, you don't need to have any visual aspects to, to tell the story. Interesting. Yeah, I never even thought about that. Um, I guess kind of, it, it sounds like 
that would be a large process and a long process of putting that all together, making sure all of the pieces can come together. Um, but how many of these projects are you working on at once or how many would you say you work on within like a year? I will tell you right now, if you, if you give me one second, I will tell you right now we have approximate, approximately <laughs> 70 projects that are in various states, state of development. Wow. 70. Out of those though, there are four of those are actually sold. So we're still working. Okay. So I shouldn't say development. They're now we're still working on them. And about 50 of those are we're just we're we're developing on our own like dime. Pipeline. Right. And about Got five it. of them are paid development. So sometimes you'll go to a buyer and they'll go, We really love this idea. We're not quite sure if it's you know right or not. So we're gonna give you a chunk of money. You're gonna make a pilot for us, or you're gonna put together a casting tape for us. And off of that, we're going to say, yes, we're going to move forward. So it's, it. it's a development step is what they call it. Got it. And kind of as, just since you mentioned kind of putting a little bit of money in, what are kind of, when does the budget come out of all of these? Or are you kind of setting the budget up front and then sticking to that? Or is that something that's negotiated or how does that all work? It's, it is all negotiated and it's like the, the big thing with Hollywood now, it's like less, they want things, they want more for less. So it's, it of gets course. tighter and tighter. <laughs> but uh, what happens is once they show interest in the project, so let's just say you pitch me an idea, we spent months developing it together, right? And we're going to do a documentary about Mark, right? And uh, your Mark, not mine. And we're going to... um you know, we pitch it, we get, we get interviews with Mark and we do all this stuff. We put together sales. It's going to take anywhere between two to seven months, two to eight months to put all that to material together, get interviews, doing several passes, rewrites and re-edits. We pitch it out to a network. The network's like, Ooh, we like this. This is a world of, we never knew about like these money managers and these guys these high wealth individuals that, you know, this is cool world. We're going to give you money for a dev step. Here's, whatever, $50,000, dollars $200,000. And yeah. a part of that dev step is you need to come up with the budget. We need to come out with the budget. What's the budget going to look like? What's the shooting schedule going to look like? I have a guy that works here at the company who is my uh, basically my COO, chief operating officer. He puts together the budget. We bring that to the network. They go, ooh, a million dollars an episode. That's a little tight. Can you do it for 700? And then it becomes a haggling thing where, you know, we try to, they try to get it for as cheap as possible. And we try to get it. We're like, look, we're just trying to make the best version. You want this to look yeah. premium, high end. We need this type of money. Um, and then it really comes down to, um, you know, if they're, if they're the only buyer or not, like I said, it, it, you know, just before, if two buyers want the same project, you're going to get your budget that, that you want. If it's only yeah. one, they'll try to whittle you down for as much as they can. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I guess as you're kind of evaluating, I mean, you mentioned you get a ton of inbound deal ideas, um, but what are some of the main aspects and things that you think about when you're evaluating a project just as unrealistic ideas before even taking it anywhere and deciding if it's worth even moving forward, investing your own time and your money right. into it? What What are some of the key things that you think about? Uh, definitely the things that I've already mentioned, which is access. So yeah. it doesn't do us any good. For example, um, again, I'll I'll just use the George Clooney thing. Um, 
if you're going to do a documentary on George Clooney and there are already two people that are doing the same documentary and George Clooney is going to, is attached to all three, that doesn't do anyone good. So you want exclusive access. Mm. You want okay. to have original ideas. You want to have archival materials is very important to, to say, yeah. Oh my God, I have this incredible story about the assassination of JFK, which we had one. There's no archival materials that go with that. If you had, if like, I, and we found this hidden video of, you know, Oswald, you know, that no one has ever seen before, you're going to be able to sell that because people, yeah. like, there's that, there's that intrigue. The basic idea is if something feels, the criteria we put it through is, is it a cool story that we would, we love to, sh we'd love to share? Like you just hear like, wow, that's incredible. I never heard that story before. That's crazy. That's one factor. The other is, um, basically having that access that's yeah. exclusive the archival materials and then it's just like what what is something that you would you know could be ripped from the headlines so it's like if you and that's really comes from the buyer side because they want there's so much noise out there there's so much stuff out there now what is going to break through and that's what we look at it could be anything from like the title that we come up with or if it's pitched to us from the outside um that is a really big thing of like, how, how do we get people interested in this? If we're really interested from the get-go, we feel like the buyer could be interested in it. And then they, they feel yeah. that the audience could be interested in it. So, and it's worth noting too, um, we're pitching as much as we're getting pitched. Cause like I said, there are buyers that are coming, yeah. to, excuse me, their producers are coming to us. So we're like almost in that situation, we're the, we're the, the buyer because they're trying to yeah. join our yeah. team. So it works both sides. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the breakdown. Got it. And do you ever get like, like into kind of working on shows or you're, you think it's a great idea, start investing money and time, and then you start to get into it and you're like, ah, scrap this. We, we just, maybe this wasn't a good idea. Or are you usually, it's kind of like either red light or green light, like either we're in or we're out. Uh. I'll liken it to the same way with if you're dating someone, <laughs> you know? you're into it when you first meet them. And six months later, you're like, what am I doing in this relationship? <laughs> yes, of course that happens. Okay. Yeah. You, I mean, not only that, you know, we've had projects we put, we were like, we loved it. And then like eight, six, 10 months in and you were a hundred thousand out of pocket. We're like, this is not, a good idea. how, did, how yeah. did we do this? And so that you have to make those tough decisions. Like we got, we got to, we got to cut it off. You can't throw yeah. Good money at, at bad, you know. Well, that probably also saves your reputation. You want you want to keep up a pulled like a strong kind of uh success rate. Um, you mentioned Absolutely. this briefly, but we're seemingly dealing with just what seems like a battle among so many different streaming platforms, in addition to all of the other content, Instagram, TikTok. I mean, the consumer just had so many different options now when you want to watch something. Where do you see the future of content consumption and kind of the streaming platform landscape going? Do you think there's, is there endless yeah. room for growth or will there be some consolidation you think? There definitely will be consolidation um, for sure. The the big, not to get too much into the weeds, but essentially Apple has a ton of money and they have very limited content. Netflix has a ton of content and they're a little shaky right now. So the idea that people on the inside think is that eventually Netflix and Apple will merge wow. um, or, or some variation of that. Disney, of course, is like, you know, Iger's one on the record that's saying that they're kind of trying to 
sort of slim down their portfolio and they're trying to maybe sell ESPN or ABC and all this stuff is kind of coming to the forefront. So I could, you know, they're all about their, their, their theme parks and they're, you know, so I could see them potentially, you know, merging with someone paramount. There's just too many streamers There's too look. I work in the industry. I don't even have all of these, you know, <laughs> different. I mean, I, to keep I, I, it's tough to keep up with. It's really tough to keep up with. Eventually, I believe it'll become like cable all over again. I believe like there'll be a pact where it's like all of these, you know, streamers will come together and say, hey, you could do this a la carte, but all of us together, you could get it for this amount of money, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and it, it'll be cyclical. Right now, it's funny because when television started in the 50s, well, primarily, you know, really started in the 50s, obviously TV was invented way earlier than that, but everything was sponsored by ad, you know, ad sponsors, like brought to you by Alka-Seltzer or whatever, like they were totally branded and that's how they, the shows were, were produced with, with the ad money. That's really what we've come back to now. Most of the shows that we're creating, if they're not straight up, you know, they're, they're subsidized. Perfect example is I worked on the show Top Chef, right? Yeah. That show is almost completely subsidized by, by, you know, Bravo, by the massive amount of, you know, ad sales they get, but specifically like, you know, all of the cooking wear and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. So that's really a way that, and we're reaching out now to some, you know, companies to basically say, Hey, do you want to underwrite this project? And then we'll go to Netflix and go, Hey, do you want something for, free here you go yeah you yeah <laughs> that makes sense so that was kind of going to be my next question i guess is kind of does that crowded landscape impact the way that you're thinking about pitching your projects are you pitching with specific buyers in mind like oh i think this would make a ton of sense for netflix or whoever based on their viewer base or are you just trying to really increase the competition just to get the largest budget that you can no, everything, when we decide, I left this out, actually, when you asked me, you know, what goes into determining if we're going to move forward with the project or not, very high in the list is the number of buyers it'll appeal to. Because if it's like only one or two, if it's some like obscure thing, we're like, well, you know, maybe ESPN will buy that, but no one else is going to buy that. We're not going to do it. We, we know, we need to know that at least four or five buyers will be interested in it yeah. um, before we actually want to put any sort of resources behind it so for us you know again we're working with the streamers netflix basically is like we always pitch netflix because it's like walmart they have everything there you know it's yeah. like one-stop shopping they, they literally produce everything but other places are very specific in what they want you know hbo is very specific apple is very specific peacock very specific hulu all of these places, you know, they have, they have a very specific demo and we have to make sure that we, the project we have can like sort of like the Venn box. diagram. Yeah. The Venn diagram of it all, we could fit in there. Like, oh yeah. Five or six of these will want to go after this, this particular type of, of project. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to get as many of those as I can. I definitely don't have them all, but it's interesting to hear that they're that different, the demographics, because you think people see a show, they're like, I'll sign up for this now. And then you're signing up for Netflix yeah. the next day. And then, but it's I just mean, I'll do you one better. So HBO, people say HBO Max is not HBO, by the way. And people, are, they're very different demos, completely different demos. Oh. 
Okay. And everyone says, oh, it's on HBO. No, it's actually on HBO Max. Yeah. Uh, because, and they have two completely different buyers. You're pitching to two different people. So huh. that's why they HBO Max is basically gone. And now they call it Max. Yeah, they've changed the name 20 times. The, yeah, it confused the hell out of people. But even the Max, and now if you watch something on HBO, we deal with HBO, but it's on Max. So it's like HBO on Max. So it's yeah. confusing to people. But they're they're completely different buyers, and there's a lot of crossover. There's a lot of, for example, you know, power the Viacom brand, right? There's Paramount Plus, there's uh, CBS, there's MTV, there's VH1, there's CMT. Uh, they're all under this uh, the one umbrella, and they all have the little sub departments. So we could actually be pitching two or three of those buyers. And they're all really under the same company and they'll direct yeah. you to where they want you to try to pitch it to. But there could be, a, theoretically, you could be pitching to two different people in, under the same fire. Right. Yeah. But they won't, but they will not let their, those two companies get into a comp bidding war. Yeah. They're yeah. very, dis yeah, they, they make sure that, that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to shift a little bit um, into kind of just based on um, kind of all of our clients, but what advice would you have for a current athlete who's interested in the film TV industry, but isn't really sure where to start and what's the best way for them to learn? Well, it depends on what they want to do. Uh, do they want to start their own production shingle? Do they want to be on air talent? Um, that those are the two you know big differences I would say. So yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll just do both. One is I would um, definitely like watch the sh watch a lot of shows and notice the shows that you like and then literally reach out and any of them by the way could reach out to me or you you could through you to me or whatever but like figure out what production companies are doing the shows that you like and yeah. let them know hey i i love your work i'd love to be you know a host or be a part executive producer or whatever um if you have an idea specifically you know, definitely they could come to us at any time or I could point them in the right direction if they if it's not sort of the content that we're doing. And um, but for to start their own production shingle, they I would absolutely they need to like just like their sports, right? You, they're practicing. They're constantly getting better and, and, and being focused on that. You need to put the same energy and effort into um, running a production company. So. With that, it's like, okay, being very specific of, at first of what they want their brand to be. Um, yeah. Do you want to do comedic stuff? Do you want to do just you know documentaries? Do you want to do big formats? Um, and then you could branch out from there. I mean, you look perfect example is Omaha Productions with Peyton Manning. You know, they were very specific in the type of stuff they wanted to do. They had success and now they're branching out and doing more and more. But going into it, I'd absolutely be laser focused. And that really involves watching stuff um and you don't have to watch entire shows but like watch the first five ten minutes of something get a sense of what's out there get a sense of what sort of content you like what stuff you want to do what make what, what you like watching and what you would like to produce put that together and then you know a lot of these guys have agents of course and those agents could put them put them in touch with the agents that are you know the non-scripted agents at sure. the same agent Got it. 
And I, we definitely will make sure to share Archie's contact information um, with anyone interested in kind of reaching out on the industry, as you are our expert, I think, um, and one of the best people to know in the industry. Um, next question is kind of, you obviously have worked closely with Mark Wahlberg, who's leveraged his own name to drive his own success, but the way that he did it was kind of driving his own success in areas that went far beyond his initial kind of career path. And it seems like you've really had kind of a front seat and assisted him in doing that. Um, that being said, what advice would you have for athletes who kind of do have a similar name image likeness that they could leverage who might be considering their post-playing careers and kind of trying to find success in other opportunities beyond sports? Right. I, I could speak for Mark the, the, in this regard. One of the smartest things that Mark ever did was he didn't ask for a money to be on some of these shows when we started out with Wahlburgers, which was the first show he did. He could have asked for a massive um, appearance fee, like, you know, to yeah. be on the show. But instead, he made sure that they bought a number of episodes because he okay. wanted to build out. He wanted it to basically be a 22 minute commercial for Wahlburgers because he knew that in the long run, it would be pennies, the amount of money, even if he's making a hundred thousand dollars an episode, um, he'd be making hundreds of millions of dollars if Wahlburgers became a huge, you know, burger chain. So he he basically definitely um worried less about the immediate money he could get for the long-term potential money he can make. And that's exactly what he did with Wall Street, too. He leveraged. He got paid very minimally to appear on the show because he knew, like Wall Wahlburgers, it would be essentially a commercial for all of his businesses and a platform. Yeah. And not only that, he would get with he would allow it would allow him to get investors for other things because they knew that he had this show that was a platform that people could go literally see. Oh, I see Municipal. He's wearing Municipal. Well, guess what? Municipal went nuts. You know, once the show yeah. came out, it shot through the roof. So. That to me was really smart. And I, I would, I would, that's the biggest sort of um, thing that I could share is like, if you're really trying to blow up your brand and do a lot, don't worry about you know the nickel and diming of the actual, you know, the show itself. Cause the show is the yeah. platform for all the other brands that you, you might be connected with you and you're trying to, you know, get out yeah. there to the world. Like the longer term return, longer term returns will outweigh the short term gain you might get from a hundred thousand dollars or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That makes a ton of sense. Um, and then kind of shifting again, but on, I mean, currently there's this writer's strike going on. Can you talk about that a little bit and kind of how you think that might impact or shape the next twelve to thirty six months? Yeah. Well, uh, the the writer's strike again. We don't know when it's going to end. As far as non-scripted, it hasn't really affected so much because I believe, again, this is just my belief, uh, yeah. is that during COVID, there was massive, massive purchases of content because a lot of people were home and they had nothing to do but watch TV. So there were tons of things that were sold. And now that we're sort of having this moment where there's such a proliferation of, of streamers and so much content out there. Everything was a bidding war and all this stuff kept going up, 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 up. And now I, and in the non-scripted world, these 
buyers, these streamers, these studios are using this to basically shed all of their deals and get out of them because they were making the bottom line for these guys is what is the stock price? What does it look like? You know, and how do we get that number that we're going to get the stock up and we're not, you know, so it's all about that at this point. So they are very bluntly making, trying to get stuff done, get rid of all this sort of like baggage. And so they yeah. haven't bought as much non-scripted either. Huh. The belief though is come the you know as we get into the fall here and certainly the top of the year um there's gonna have to be because they're gonna just be just a void of content because they're now they're just playing all the stuff that they bought and they kind of sat on mm -hmm. as soon as the strike ends it's still going to be months before any of that could hit the air because they have to shoot yeah. it they have to so there's going to be a there's going to be a uh like a bubble, I guess, of when they'll have to buy a lot of non-scripted stuff to kind of uh, sort of be the in-between before the scripted sure. content to get out there. I think in the long term, um, the biggest thing outside the strike is really AI. Yeah. You know? And obviously the strike is because of AI, but you know, artificial intelligence is going to completely restructure the entertainment industry and, you know, I'm talking to some advisors and at least 30 to 40% of all production companies are going to be basically go belly up because of it, because essentially not to bore you, but like AI is going to take away a lot of the middle uh, producers and people that work on in entertainment. Like um, those roles. So, say again? Those roles will just be eliminated because AI can do it better. Yeah. So for example, remember I told you at the beginning, like there, we would put together a creative deck, right? Yeah. That creative deck usually takes two to three weeks to put together. AI could do it in two hours. Wow. <laughs> so why am I going to, and that's time to me, time is money and to everyone time is money, but like now I still need someone to go. AI is going to do a crappy job at first, but at least yeah. they got the first thing on paper. They did it in, in, 20 seconds and now you're going to continue to work with it and you just you saved yourself like a week and a half or two weeks of, of so a lot the the biggest job that's going to the most valuable job outside of like being like a mark Wahlberg or like the top of a company or like a creative type like a director or an actor sure is going to be a prompter an ai prompter someone that understands how to prompt and make AI churn out stuff efficiently. Like the way that very, you want it done. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't know if you've, if you've met, messed around with chat GPT or not, but yeah. if you were like, write me a screenplay as if it was written by Steven Spielberg and it's about penguins or whatever, it would sure. do that for you. It would not be very good, but you literally within like 20 seconds, you would have a fully completed screenplay, right? So, and but I'm not going to get into the legality of all that, but like <laughs> essentially at that point, if you have someone who could prompt it properly and say, do this and do that and do this and do that and make it an actual incredible screenplay. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, it's very sort of daunting and, and quite yeah. honestly frightening. It is very frightening to think about. <laughs> yeah. A lot of jobs. And again, I, I mean, again, for I'm everyone's career, I mean, I think 
that's that's something that every industry is now dealing with. So, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that that's definitely going to have an impact yeah. beyond way beyond yeah. just one industry. But oh yeah, yeah. no, like paralegal like paralegals are going to be completely gone because paralegals yeah. are basically just doing like sort of the fa- the checking and all that. Yeah. AI could do that in 20 seconds. So, um, I mean, instead of having 20 paralegals, you have one, you know, who just, so yes, it's going to be across every industry, but in particular, the entertainment industry is going to get hit pretty hard for sure. Got it. Well, I'll have to prepare for that content bubble of having no content to watch. Um, And then I think this might be my last question, um, unless anyone shoots one over, but um, I know Wall Street kind of got the green light from HBO. I think it was like in March of 2020, um, yeah. basically the same time, the same week that the world shut down. And then you somehow continue to produce through COVID and were one of the first business documentaries to emerge after COVID. How can you discuss some of the challenges you all must have faced in doing that? And are there any impacts that you saw that have changed how production and how the whole industry functions now and will function going forward? Sure. Well, first of all, that that we started filming, it actually air, it actually came on the air in 2020. We started filming in 2019 in December okay. in in London. We were shooting with, I was there and that we had the whole crew. And as a side note, that's at London, in England in 2019, that's what COVID people, it they didn't there. know what it was at the time. <laughs> and I'll never forget this. My camera operator was like in the car with me and like coughing up a storm. And he was like, I feel like shit and all this. And I was like, oh, get away from me. <laughs> But he ended up, I'm sure, having COVID. Not none of us realized it. Um, but so once we got into the lockdown, we were like, "How the hell are we going to shoot this show?" And so one of our producers is actually friends with Mark too. They're 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 children. His name is Mike Freeze. He's a great guy. His children are very good friends with Mark. And so we were like, Mike you got to just go over with your iPhone and shoe Mark because they were in the same bubble together. Oh, okay. And so we just started filming it on an iPhone and Zooms. If you watch Wall Street, you'll see it goes from, you know, beautiful shots of like, you know, really romantic looking and fantastic, you know, B-roll and and shots of slow-mo of Mark to like iPhone footage. Good thing iPhone though is, and, and Zooms, like most of the Zooms, you know, I worked from home remotely for months. I'd come, I'd, I'd go on a meeting every once in a blue moon. Um, and that really, and I guess maybe six months into the pandemic, they started to have extremely rigid rules. So there's COVID and they, all this added to more and more of the budget, which again, was a lot of the reasons why all this stuff got getting more expensive, which is kind of where we are today is because they had to start putting in 15 to 20% uh, more money, the 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 producers and the networks, excuse me, the networks and the, and the buyers, because they had to have COVID protocols. You had to wear yeah. masks, and they had to have someone on set that would, you know, all these sort of things. And if one person got ill, then you had to shut it down. But you're still paying for these people, you know, to be there and things like that. It's like, yeah, that's the thing. It's like when you shut down uh, on a on a production, it's not like okay, we're saving money. No, like you're still the the, the meter is still running, you know. <laughs> So um, a lot of protocols were put into play. They were they were recently, I guess about three or four months ago, they finally did away with a lot of the protocols and now it's back to what it was. Okay. Um, so yeah, but again, if something else happens like that, you know, if another, there's another outbreak or something, they would go back again to 
those pretty strict protocols um, that 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 could easily shut down production for an extended period of time. Sure. And do the pitches during that time, if people were pitching things, did that all happen over Zoom as well? Not only that, they they still happen like that because oh, wow. In in Los Angeles, it's like forty minutes to get anywhere. <laughs> you gotta go like yeah. like neighbor's <laughs> house. Somehow the traffic, it's forty minutes. So it's just much more efficient. Now, if it's a, like, if, if there's like, say one of your athletes comes and we're going to pitch a show and they like, it's, they'll, we'll do that in person because like they want to meet the athlete and it's yeah. cool to them. Yeah. And, but 90% of our pitches are now done over zoom. And there's a funny story. Uh, if you humor me for a sec, I literally was doing, I had a two-year-old son at the time. He's now five. And my son pooped his pants and my wife was working at home too she, in the other room she's a lawyer she's very busy she couldn't she's like you gotta change it so i'm on a pitch i'm literally like you here now but underneath the my camera i'm actually wiping my kids butt oh my and, God. and putting diapers on and they had no idea talk about multitasking but yeah. that was like that was the world we lived in like you just had to do what you had to do and um yeah but now still to this day which it's really annoying to me, because you could see when you're pitching someone and they're checking their emails, you know what I mean? Because yeah. their eyes are like going elsewhere, whatever, and they're multitasking. But you're like, that's why when you're in a room, you have their undivided attention and you know if they're checking their phone or not. It's they're pretty obvious. And by the way, they still check their phone. Yeah, even I'm if, sure. even <laughs> this is this is the network executives. So, but it it has become more difficult to sell things, I think, because you're not getting the same attention. Mm-hmm. as as undivided. you did face-to-face yeah undivided yeah. Attention. well I'm sure that um having kind of someone of kind of Mark Wahlberg status or a celebrity or someone like that also moves the needle so um absolutely well, if Mark shows that... up trust me it's there, it's it's an in-person meeting they want it in person yeah yeah exactly well Thank you so much for the time tonight, Archie. Um, this has been really interesting. And I feel like I could go on picking your brain for hours about this. Um, but I'll be sure to share um, your contact information if, in case anyone has any questions or wants to follow up and learn more. Um, but thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to all of our clients who have tuned in to this. And um, feel free to reach out to us and we can make sure to connect you with Archie. Thanks so much, Archie. Thanks, Sally. Have a great night. Bye. Bye-bye.